I'd kind of like to know how many elbows were flying around during that. <laughs> Seriously, like, who in here sided? Who watching online sided over here? Raise your hand. Say me. Okay, how about over here? Uh-huh. Now, who was right? You know what's amazing about that is, I, I, I've seen that lived out in, in certainly in my marriage, and this is not a topic today about marriage, but we could go down a whole different path if we want to. But the reality is, they both, we all, play the victim really, really well, often in our lives. In our personal lives, in our spiritual journeys, in our relationships, they both were playing the victim extremely well. And the sad thing is, probably from personal experience for many of us in that type of situation, we know where that's going to lead. If one of them, just one of them, doesn't even take both, one of them were just to say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve the other. I'm going to do something different. Even though I feel I'm right, I feel slighted, I feel like I am the one doing more of this more often, I'm going to do something different tonight. That's being more of an agent than a victim. It just takes one. And yet, here's the thing. Whether you admit it or not, you and I, we all have played the victim. It's a pretty common occurrence. It's real easy to do to have this victim mentality. Now, I want to make sure you understand I'm not talking about being a victim because the reality is each and every one of us have had stuff done to us at some point in our lives where we truly were a victim. God sees that. God knows that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having the victim mentality that always says I'm going to blame God or others or circumstances for my own stuff. And it doesn't really set us up well in our spiritual journey. It's actually been happening since Adam and Eve walked the planet thousands of years ago. Where right after they both fell, or they sinned, the Bible says, they both start blame shifting. Well, it was, it was, it was that woman that you put here with me, Adam says. And she says, well, it was that, that serpent. The serpent, you know, he kind of he tricked me. And you take that all the way down through humanity, through each and every one of us, and we, we can approach life often with this victim mentality. And it's dangerous. The reality is, we, we play the victim because it seems to give us a sense of power. But really, it's a false power. But it's a power to maybe feel like we're righteously persecuted and we're sad. May, the, the thing is, it also gives us permission to, to not take responsibility for ourselves. It, it helps us to not have to deal with emotions like guilt fear, shame, anger. So we play the victim and we point at others. And this thing creeps into our spiritual journey. And, and this, this whole month we've been talking about living the flourishing life. How can we each live a flourishing life? And I just want to make a point here. That doesn't mean the wealthy life, the powerful life, the life of ease. That is not what God promises he promises life alive, the flourishing life. But this victim mentality can get in the way. 
The first week, Justin talked about, and we, we, we had a whole message, if you will, about vision for your life. Who do you turn to? Who do you go to? Where do you, where do you begin to just maybe get out of letting life live you and look to something else for some vision for your life? Do you buy the latest self-help book? Or as Justin might suggest, do you try and turn to God and just see maybe how he's wired you, who he's made you to be, and, and look for some vision? The next week, Roy talked about being aware, awareness, being self-aware. And so often, we are not self-aware. We're highly aware of other people's faults. But very seldom do we stare at a mirror and go, you, how are you doing? What's my self-analysis? What am, I, what am I willing to look at in my own life that's broken and take some constructive criticism? Whoo, that's hard stuff. And then last week we talked about, look, if you try and do any and all of that by yourself, probably going to fail. A really high 90-something percentile, you're going to fail if you try and do the spiritual life or really just life in isolation. And I hear so many people say, I want to move to Montana and live on a ranch, and I never want to see people. It's like, you're going to go crazy. You just don't know it yet. And you may or may not believe that. But being connected in a community, and what I mean by community, I don't mean in a room this large with mostly Chiefs fans and a few Ravens fans, right? There's a few. They're hiding. <laughs> but connection and community is vital. And then that leads to, to this week of movement. How do we generate movement in our lives? And I want to share with you a passage that really just spoke to me about this. It comes from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. We don't necessarily know who the author of the book of Hebrews was. Maybe it was Paul, maybe it was Apollos. It doesn't really matter. What we do know is that this person had an amazing command of the older portion of the Bible called the Old Testament, and yet had this personal experience with Jesus from the Newer Testament, or the second half of the Bible. And, and his, or her, knowledge, if you will, of this, probably, probably was a man, actually, is just amazing. But if you want to read and follow along with me, you can. It says, therefore, and, and let, me, let me back up. Sorry, I wanted to. Hebrews 11 is this long list of people from the Old Testament especially, not all, but some from the New Testament, of people that have lived by faith, just like you and I, they've succeeded, they've failed, they've had ups and downs, they've had pains, they've had sorrows, they've done well, they haven't. They were selfish, they were selfless. They lived a human life. And all of chapter 11 is pointing to them and saying, look, none of those folks got what was promised by God when they died. But they're still hopeful. And now they're resting in a place that we necessarily can't explain. And he's now looking back at chapter 11 and says, therefore... All that being said, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, he's referring to all those people, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our, ever, or excuse me, our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So let's break this down just a little bit. And when I kind of want to start in reverse a little bit, let's talk about uh, the, the way I memorized this verse or portion of it was 
fixing my eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion, that's maybe the author, the originator, the initiator of our faith, and the perfecter. He says, follow me, trust me, surrender to me, lean on me. That's vision. When I read this passage, I thought, oh my gosh, this kind of fits this whole series. That's the vision Jesus has and God has for us through his son, is to trust him. And if you keep reading after this, if you read verse 3 and 4, you realize that Jesus joyfully went to the cross. He says he did it with joy. Now, I don't know that there's anybody that goes to their death an execution with joy, but he certainly did. Not because it was going to be joyful. It was the most painful experience I think humankind has come up with. But because he knew what was on the other side. He trusted the Father so much that even though he was going to go through death and experience all of our combined failures, or sin as the Bible calls it, and be separated God from some time period from the Father and the Spirit, he sets the example. He says, I've done it. You can trust me. I've gone through this for you, for you, for you, for me. So if you're, if you're wrestling in your journey... I would tell you to just pause for a minute. Wherever you are, if you're in a tough spot, if you're dealing with some tough stuff, and just go and read some of the Gospels and read what Jesus went through for you. And maybe, just maybe, that can cast some vision that in the middle of what you're going through, whether it's good or bad at the moment, that you can have a vision that's bigger than your circumstances, as painful as they may be, as joyful as they may be because of what he has done for us and the vision of living following him and him guiding us. Let's keep moving. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You know, I think of that as that second week of this series about awareness. I don't know about you, but so often in the spiritual journey, and I've been on this one for quite a while now, I forget just how sinful of a man I can be and am. And I can go into a men's group or a co-ed group where I interact with people that are in my life, and I can just be me. I can admit to that because I know that the grace of God covers over me. And so often I hear folks, especially folks like some of you that might be scared of joining a group because you're like, what do they do in those crazy little groups? Well, we don't ask you your first and greatest sin week one. That's week two. No, we don't do that. We, as leaders and people that have been in those groups, we demonstrate authenticity and transparency. And in time, when you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. That's the greatest feeling to have on a journey when you finally begin to get connected to others on this journey is to understand you're not alone. They and you deal with the same sort of junk. It may be a little different, but we all have stuff in our lives. And you also hear about the joys in other people's lives. And so one week when you're down and you're battling something brutal, maybe someone else is having joy and you can just go, wow, okay, that's cool. I'm walking side by side with you. Sin is one of these things that none of us wants to admit, and yet we all know we have in our lives. And just taking some time to contemplate your brokenness and realize you're actually more broken than you'll ever know. But you're more loved than you could ever fathom. 
And it's okay to understand that I can be broken and I can be shone and that's okay. And, and if people are going to judge me, they're going to judge me. If they're going to love me, I hope they'll love me. But that maybe, just maybe, they'll understand that Jesus died for every single one of us. I think of that as awareness. Let me talk about since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith. Not only do I think it's the, the veterans, let's call them, that have gone on before us. And that, by the way, is the message interpretation of this passage. He talks about the veterans that have gone on before us. And, and we're in this arena of life. We're running some sort of race, and all these people are either lined up on the sides of the road. If you've ever ran a marathon or a 5K, there may be people lined up. They're all cheering you on. It's also the people in your lives that are cheering you on. I get more encouragement from hearing other people in, in the groups that I'm a part of or when I sit down one-on-one over lunch or a coffee or a beer, I, I go, oh my gosh, I like seeing what's going on in your life. This is amazing. And I, and I hear them give me encouragement or challenge. Think about the great, cl- th- th- these people are saying, you can do it. Get started. Get up. It's worth it. I think about this, the the minor whisper that should be in our our brains and in our lives is, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Keep going. You can do this. We've all done it. We had struggles too. We had joys too. You can do this. It's worth it. I think of that as community and connection. And then the last one, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Look, we all got pain and sadness and challenge in our lives and in our story. And either we make that our excuse or we make it our motivation. And that's moving from being a victim to what I want to call a victor. That's moving from blaming God and others and and circumstances and all the junk that's happened in my life, blaming all that and everything I am on that, or it's saying, no, 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 no. That sin does not define me. That brokenness does not define me. Even if I was victimized, that doesn't define me. I can be an agent. I can be a victor by having vision, awareness, community, and starting some movement with and towards God. My next-door neighbor, Dylan, good friend of mine. He is one amazing athlete, and I am not. And I would see him go out for runs early morning, late evening, from time to time. So finally, I said, hey, man, you, uh, you run most every day? He's like, yeah. I said, well, what you, what, why do you do that? <laughs> I, I'm serious. I was like, why, why would you do that? He's like, well, I'm, I'm training for a marathon. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So he, he runs a marathon, and I asked him how it went, and he went pretty good. And now this guy, he's into ultra marathons. Now, I don't know if any of you have done this, and if you are, hey, hmm, you are an amazing athlete too. But the last ultra marathon he did, he ran for about 24 hours straight and ran almost 100 miles and I just sat and went, man, I, I sometimes struggle to go from the couch to the fridge without some aches and pains. 
I mean, I'm just thinking, my feet, I don't know that my feet could handle it. And Dylan, good friend of mine, he says, you're right, you couldn't. And I said, how do you go about doing this? And, and, and literally, he came over to my house, and we talked about that this week. And here's what he said. He said he followed a training plan. Huh. He started small. He didn't go out and run 10 miles the first day. But he was amazingly consistent in those small steps and those small runs. Hear this. He also expected it, the training that is, to be hard. He expected it to be challenging. And when he said these things, I'm trying to go, look, I'm probably never going to run a marathon. I'm probably never going to run another 5K. I'm certainly never going to run an ultra marathon. But I started thinking about my spiritual journey and our spiritual journeys, and I thought, oh, there's some lessons here. If, if I, I have ran three 5Ks, I had to really think hard about that in my life, and I asked myself why. The first two was just out of sheer stupidity or enjoyment. One was as a kid, and I finished. The second one I did downtown Kansas City years and years ago for some charity, and it was cool to do that. The last one was for my good friend Chad Rogers, who passed away here, and it was his memorial run. And I decided two weeks before that run that I wanted to run that run to honor him and, and my very good friends, Greg and Dee Dee Rogers and his entire family. So I thought I would go into training for two weeks. <laughs> and on the third run, and I mean, let's call it a jog, let's call it a fast-paced walk, my feet began to hurt. And I'm like, I'm still going to do this 5K. And if I'm not mistaken, my son did the 10K that, that day, and he didn't train for it, even though he's 28 years younger than me. And I'm telling you, we both hurt after that race. And I remember coming up this hill right up here at Pleasant Valley. This, you don't believe it. There's a, there's a hill that dips, and it's a lot worse running than in a car. And I'm like, I'm going to finish strong. <laughs> and I'm kind of sprinting, and literally something jumped on my back, and I was like, ah. And I stopped, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to hurl within distance of people seeing me. And I'm like, I can't hurl, so I turn around, you know. Finally get up, I take a few more steps walking, and then I did muster something more of a jog, and I run across the finish line, and I hug my buddy Greg, and I think about Dylan running 100 miles in 24 hours, <laughs> and he's training for something this spring where he's going to attempt to run for 36 to 40 hours straight and clock about 150 to 200 miles. I said, Dylan, I can respect you, and I want to understand a little more. So because I'm a spreadsheet guy, he goes, Sean, let me show you my spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else spreadsheet people? Yeah. Let me, can you throw that spreadsheet up? And th th listen, he, showed, he, he shared this with me. And, and this was just one tab, and this is his 100-mile race tab. And, and I'm not going to, you don't have to look at all the extreme detail other than you can see the week across the top. And you can see his total miles on the right for those weeks. You can see some blank days in there where he rested because your body does need to recover. And the same can be said for the spiritual journey. We can't run our spiritual journey like a 100-yard relay or a 100-yard race or 100 meters, whatever it is. We can't do that. Sometimes we get so motivated that we take off and we're like, I'm going to do it right this time. 
And we sprint out of the gate and we're trying to consume this and do that and read the Bible and join a group and go to this event. And you're like, look out, you're going to burn out because you're human. And so Dylan builds in days of rest. And the far left column is some insanity that he started to explain. I just said, stop. Something about VO2 max and your heart lung machine. And you're like, okay, okay. But ultimately down at the very bottom is he winds down quite a bit before the big race. And, and as he walked away from my house that day and I looked at this spreadsheet in greater detail, I went, this is what God desires in our spiritual journey. Maybe not a spreadsheet, but he desires the intensity of movement because he knows that if we stagnate, if we victimize everyone and everything, including him, we are not an agent in our journey. We're just being lived. We just think it's going to happen we think that if we come here uh, on a Sunday that for an hour that we're going to get something that's going to propel us and, and guide us for the rest of the week. And I'm telling you, it's not. It can, it can be catalytic to you, but one hour on Sunday is not all you need in your spiritual journey. Trust me, I've tried. And maybe you have. Now, if you're visiting, that's okay. Keep coming back because maybe that's a good first step. You're starting slowly. You're being patient. That's great. But if you've stagnated, if you've been around here for a while, you may need to ask yourself, how can I get moving or moving again? You know, each of us has to run the race which God has set before us. That's what that passage says. You know, in one sense, we're all running a very similar race. We, we, we are human beings put on this planet. We, we, we need some shelter, right? We need some food. We actually need connection and community. There's things we need, water. We need things to live. So we all have that similar similarity. We're, we're human beings on this planet. And if you're trying to follow Jesus, we have that similarity where you're like, man, it's not always easy, and I just don't want to try and follow him. But the word try gets in the word of train. John Ortberg has a great book, The Life You Always Wanted, and one of the chapters is called Training Versus Trying. And when Dylan was telling me about his race, for him, he has been training for about four years in totality for this race that he's about to do this spring. Now listen, folks, I could go with him wherever he's going to do that stupid, crazy race. I could go with him and I could try really hard to run 150 miles in 36 hours. How many of you think I would be successful? None. How many of you would be successful? Trying really hard. And often that's the mentality that we bring into our journey is we think, well, I just will try harder. Well, I'll just try instead of train. And so I want to I maybe point out some things that you might be able to, to do. How could you move forward? See, I think about it this way. Victims, we get stuck in the moment. We think there's no way out. We, 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 we blame a lot of others. Whereas victors, they say, okay, I, I'm going to do something about it. Paul says, work out your salvation. Notice he doesn't say work for your salvation but he does say work it out. So we each have a part to play in our journeys.
We can't get maturity or growth in Jesus or obedience to him or sharing his love with others or learning to love our spouses in selfless ways, much like they were struggling with in this particular instance. We can't do those things without training to be like Jesus, without starting to understand who he is, who he wants to be in our lives. So let me break it down this way. Vision. The vision, remember, was to fix our eyes on Jesus. And some of you may be asking, well, why would I do that? And here's where I want to encourage you. We have a couple things coming up, a couple experiences that both start next year. They're one and the same, by the way. The baptism course and the discovering life according to Jesus in 3, 2, 1, they're the same. There's a little secret for you. We're talking about an hour and a half for four Sundays in a row. We'll get you out before the Super Bowl, regardless of who's playing in it. It starts next week, but maybe it's time to just discover. Maybe you need a little help. It's so hard to pick up that Bible and begin to just read and go, oh, man, I don't know what that's necessarily saying or meaning. And you don't have to do that alone. So jump into one of those experiences. We're talking about maybe a six-hour investment of time and energy that would help you train to know who Jesus said he was, who he says he is, and wants to be in your life. That's uh, That's interesting. Sound. <laughs> Justin talked about knowing your story in the workshop that he's going to be leading about an hour and a half today. Probably get you out by 12 15, 12 30. I know that because I saw that on the schedule. So, so maybe, maybe you need to take some time being more self aware or being aware of who you are and how God made you and, and knowing more about your story. Well, jump into that experience, give that a shot. That's movement. All of our small groups, or at least the majority of them, are about to start what we call our winter semester here in another week or so. All of them. So you could go to the group section of our app and you could see what groups are out there. My guess is there's one that might fit your schedule. And if there's not, email me. Tell me. We'll see what we can do. But so often we prioritize so many things in our lives, so many things in our lives, above our spiritual journey... And then we wonder why we aren't changing, why we aren't morphing, why we aren't moving. So what's your move? Build some consistency. Over my spiritual journey, over my last 20-something years of my life, I've had many ups and downs. I've had many broken moments and, and joys, joyful moments. I have failed people. I have let people down. I've not always done my job well. I've not loved my wife and kids and kids-in-laws and grandkids and parents always well. But I've also done some of those things really well too. And the only thing I can attribute those things to is letting God have space in my life. So whether that's getting up early in the morning like I used to do and sit and read, or now reading later in the day, and just starting and trying to understand who God says he is and who he wants to be. Whether that's being in two different groups that meets either weekly or every other week or sometimes just in semesters, and sharing life with people, that's a good thing. I've been doing that. And I can look back over 20-something years and just see the consistency, and when I was more consistent, I can see the movement in my life.
And when I was less consistent and less willing to train and really just to try, I failed much more often. Most of you are going to go home today and you're going to watch the Chiefs play somebody from Baltimore. And if you think about what these people go through, if you have not watched the Kelsey documentary, you're going to get used to some F-bombs, but let me tell you, it highlights Jason Kelsey, and, and it, he talks about the pain and the insanity that, of what happens to an NFL player and the training. If you have not watched the Mahomes, the Patrick Mahomes thing where it shows what he goes through each week to try and get his body and his mind involved, you ought to check that out. Dylan shared with me that running those ultramarathons is about 30% physical, and it's actually 70% mental. And I wonder if the spiritual journey is kind of more like that 70%, it's, it's spiritual, but there's some physical things we need to do too. There's some connection opportunities we need to have and create in our lives. Maybe it's getting our fingerprints on the Bible for the first time. Let, let me tell you this, if you're visiting with us today, go pick up a visitor guide. Right out here at the Welcome Center, they're also near each one of the entrances and each bathroom. You're going to see it if you have your eyes open and you walk around here. Pick one of those up, and we hope that you come back. And that's all I'm going to say. But if you've been around Shoal Creek a while, I would consider you, whether you do or not, a traveler. You may be a traveler that's pulled over the side of the road. You may have stagnated in your journey, or you may be marching on. And if you are, great. But I would encourage you to go pick this up and read it and ask yourself, where am I? Because all of us, regardless of where we are, could be, should be, need to be moving. So how are you going to build endurance? Seriously, I want you to take 30 seconds right now. My guess is the majority of us have, have bombed our New Year's resolutions if we even created one. Apparently January 17th is like, National Give Up Your Resolution Day. <laughs> and like donut shops celebrated or something, you know, because you're like, yeah. The gym memberships know that you're going to make your one last trip there to cancel the membership. Thank you, Keith. But seriously, I want you to think about what, what small step could you take this week? Let's try to prioritize this week to get some movement in your journey if you don't have any. And if you do have some, what, what else could you add, just like Dylan adds all these different variations to his training to make his body and his mind and ultimately his soul. He talked to me about what he thinks about on these races to keep his mind from thinking about the pain. So let's do that for right now. Let's take 30 seconds and just tell yourself to yourself what small step you might take. And I'll do the same. I hope that you took that opportunity to maybe take a step, maybe think about a step that you're going to take. I'm giving you some ideas. Jump out to the events section if you want to, the baptism section. Maybe it's time to just say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm, I'm, I'm all in, I think. 
I don't know what that necessarily means, God, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go to this baptism course, and I'm going to see what it has to say, and I may just be getting baptized on March 10th. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to experience his love that I think the majority of us just don't. We don't realize that there's a being that loves us with all of our junk. And he doesn't see the junk. He sees his son saying, I paid for that if you just be willing to trust his son. And he does expect us to obey him. And, and I'm first to tell you that I've failed many times and will probably for the rest of my life. But I also know that there's many times that I've actually been obedient. And I pray that will increase for the rest of my life. He wants us to obey him, not because he's got some long list of rules to follow, because he knows that's the life that flourishes. And then finally, he doesn't want us to hoard any of that. He wants us to share that and give that away because it's an amazing gift. And why would we want to hoard that? We want other people to experience that. And we want them to, and we want to help them move. So victim or victor, one stuck in the moment, stuck in the past, and the other's moving forward. Which one are you? Would you pray with me? God, I pray for everybody here today and those watching, and maybe those, obviously, that also watch later this week, that they could just sense your, your presence in their life, your, your, your movement in their life, your, your calling to them, your, your waking them up from some sort of slumber to say, I love you. Oh. God, I pray that each and every one of us could hear that and trust it. And that's the whole reason we, we want to engage your word, what we call the Bible, is so that we can meet you, not just read a book, that we can read about you and hear how you interact with other people, those veterans of our faith, and see that you love them, you are trustworthy, you are reliable. God, give us those moments this week where undeniably we know how much you love us. Help us to build our lives on you. One little brick at a time, one little step at a time on each of our individual races. Help us to be patient, help us to be persevering, help us to be in, build endurance. And help us to help one another. God, thank you for Jesus. <laughs> the ultimate example of, of, a, of a human being living with just great, uh, great love, great connection, and yet great truth. Living without sin, trusting ultimately in you every day of his life. And then going to the cross out of total obedience, and yet the joy that he knew was beyond that. Thank you for that. Help us to fix our eyes on him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Spirit, for the constant and continuous work you do in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.